0: Amen, amen. You can be seated. We need to jump right in. If you'd find your in your Bibles, Luke chapter 12, verse 31 through 48. We've got a lot of a lot of scripture to get through, um, but we need to do it. We've got to actually start back in the passages we dealt with last week because uh, Jesus is, is really building out what he's about to say based on what he's just said. So we're going to pick up in verse 31, and we'll read through... Um, Uh, We'll end up working all the way through uh, verse 48. It says, beginning in verse 31. Where did it go? I've lost my place. Here we are. So it says, instead. Well, we got to stop right there. And I know you're thinking, how in the world are we going to make it through verse 48? We'll pick up speed quite quite a bit here in just a little bit. But we got to deal with this word instead. It's a contrast word. This is a word that shows us that there's something different that we're supposed to be about. He's been telling us, he's been dealing with all the don'ts, don't worry, don't be greedy, don't, um, don't be a hypocrite, don't fear man more than you fear God. Don't, 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 don't. And now he says, instead, he's about to begin all the do's. This is what we're supposed to do instead of the other things. This is what we're, about to, we're called to give our energy to instead of the other things. So he says, instead, instead, seek, well, I lost it again, instead, Seek his kingdom, sorry, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Prioritize his kingdom. Give yourself to finding his kingdom. These things that that the rest of the world worries about will be taken care of for you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom, the very thing he's saying to seek. He says the father desires, it's his good pleasure, it is his will to give you the very thing he's calling you to seek. You want victory in your life, it's seeking the kingdom because God in his good pleasure gives it to you. Sell your possessions, give to the needy, provide yourselves with money bags, and do not grow old with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus tells us that instead of worry, instead of greed, instead of hypocrisy and fear of man, he says instead of all of those things, Give yourself to some eternal perspective. Commit yourself to seeking out the kingdom of God. Seek out the things that God would have for you. Don't give yourself, don't expend energy on things that you can't accomplish. In fact, in the passage before, as he's talking about not to worry, he tells us you can't add a moment to your life. Why would you worry over these things? Why would you worry and fret over whether you have food to eat or, or clothes to wear Drink to drink. You can't add a moment to your life. Don't give yourself to these things that you can't accomplish anymore. Instead, do the very thing that you were created to do. Do the very thing that he created you to do. Glorify him. Glorify Him. Worship Him. Make Him the point of all of your life. Make Him the purpose for which you live. Make pursuing Him the reason you do all that you do. Know that there comes a moment where He gives you everything that your heart desires, it is His good pleasure. And while you're waiting to take hold of the inheritance that he has made yours, while you're waiting for that eternity to become evident, you're going to see he's about to turn the page just a bit and say, be ready, expectant of it, looking forward to it. That's where Jesus goes next. Stay dressed for action. Verse 35, stay dressed for action. Keep your lamps burning and be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly I say to you, He will dress himself for service and have them recline at the table, and he will come and serve them. If he comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into, literally dug a hole through the wall. You also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Peter said, Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for all? And the Lord said, who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over this household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant Whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. He will give him all he owns, essentially, is what he's saying. He's going to give him the kingdom. That's what he's saying. He will set him over all his possessions. But, but if that servant says to himself, my master is delayed in coming... And begins to beat the female and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him. And an hour when he does not know. And will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. Probably not a verse you're going to find on many coffee cups. Right? Probably not one that we're going to post on our mirrors and make us feel special. was given of him much will be required and from him to whom they entrusted much they will demand more. Jesus is coming. At any moment he could show up, he could arrive. Jesus is coming. Are you ready? His call here is to get ready, to be ready and stay Ready. We may not know when it's going to happen. We may not have a a schedule. We may not have it listed on a calendar. Uh, My wife is a planner. Like everything's on the calendar. This isn't on the calendar. But it could happen. At any moment, it could happen. Are you ready? Ready for, 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 a mo- for, for the moment to arrive that He returns, that He shows up in the midst of our living? Are you ready to step out of the old and dying world that we live in and into the world that, going, that He is going to make new? A world in which the curse of sin has been removed from it. A world in which the treasures we store up will never perish, fade, or spoil. A world... in in which we will be with our creator who chose to be our savior and then said, call me father. I mean, think of it. A world in which which God who created and had a plan and had a design for all things and yet we lived in rebellion against him who said, you can't do this on your own, but here you go. I'll save you. And he reaches down in his hand and he takes ours and he lifts us up and when he picks us up he sets us on his lap and he says, call me daddy. That's the world that he's saying to be ready for. A world in which we're no longer seeing through this darkened mirror or darkened glass but a world in which we are known fully and we get to know him fully. Are you Ready? Are you looking forward to that time? Are you anticipating that moment? Are you living today ready? Now, I'm under the conviction, I'm under the opinion that much of the church today, not just our church, I think the statistic probably holds, but I'm under the opinion today that much of the church has grown weary. In their waiting. They're not living ready. See, I think the church, not just this church, but the church at large is filled with people who have bucket lists of things that they long to accomplish. And maybe even sitting here thinking about the moment that Jesus returns, you think, well, I got some things I need to get done first. What could that possibly be? It may be noble, it may appear noble. By every, by every measure of the world that the world has, it may appear to be very noble. But Jesus is telling us to look beyond these things, to look past the, 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 the moments that are fleeting, the memories that are fading, and to look to the eternity that's going to be to begin to plan to live there now, to live every moment expecting it to arrive. Are you ready? That's the question that Jesus' teaching here presses. I mean, are you ready? He gives us three parables in total. The first two, it's, it's clearly seen. This is exactly what he's pressing us about. Stay dressed for action. Gird up your loins. It's is the literal translation. Keep your lamps burning. Be like men who are waiting for their master. Be ready. Be ready so that when the master comes back from his, from his wedding feast, when, when the master's on his way back off in the distance, he can see the lights in his house burning so that he knows where the door is at, so that when he approaches the door and begins to knock, there's not a stumbling around and groggy-eyed servants coming to the door making him wait, but they're there waiting so when the knock occurs, the door opens without an instant of time passing. Are we ready? It's sad to think. Are we ready? I think we're ready for a lot of things. We're getting ready every day for a lot of things, we're staying ready for a lot of things but are we ready for this thing this moment when our savior steps back into the midst of our physical reality and says i'm home or i've come to take you home are we ready in the in the second parable jesus is represented by the thief I'm not, 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 not saying that he is the thief. I'm not saying that, that, that he's come to steal what's not his own. But it's not a time you can put on a calendar. It's not an appointment you can make at a, like at a doctor's office. It's not, a, it's, it's not something you can plan for an exact time. But like the thief, he's going to show up. Maybe when we least expect it. Are we ready? Now clearly this is not the thing. This is, this, this is probably, we, we're seeing this in a different light on this side of the cross. We're seeing this in a different light than his disciples would have seen it. Clearly his disciples in that day, sitting there in that moment before the cross happened, the thousands upon thousands of people that are listening would have heard and they would probably would have, would have heard it differently. They would have thought about what they had been waiting for. You see, the reality is is that these people, they were waiting too. They were waiting for the arrival of a Messiah. They were waiting for the the arrival of this this king who was coming, this Messiah who was to come and to reestablish this kingdom of Israel. They were waiting on one to come and deliver them. They were expecting a deliverer. What they expected, though, was him to come and establish an earthly kingdom. But on this side of the cross, on on this side of things, we're able to see more fully the the history of redemption. We're able to see more fully the work of God from, from the point of creation, from the very first promise that he would send his son. We're able to see more fully what God is doing. We're able to look back and see that he had to come. He had to die. He had to die on the cross in our place for our sins. He had to rise to defeat death to give us the promise of eternal life. He had to do those things. But what was he telling them all the way, all along the way? He was telling them to expect his return. Even the night before he died, even the night before he faced the cross, he gathers his disciples and he says, where I'm going, you cannot go. But I'm telling you this so that you will know I'm coming to get you coming again. And the reality is is that the New Testament church picked this perspective up and they taught it and they continued to teach it so that even, even though those original listeners wouldn't have heard this message in the same way we're hearing this message, those who read Luke's gospel, those who read the accounts of this teaching, who were believers in Jesus Christ, who were disciples, who were followers of his, would have seen it the same way we do. Jesus has come and Jesus is coming. Get ready, be ready, stay ready. Are you? Are you ready? What does it mean? How do we answer? So, how do we know? Like, okay, help us understand. How can we tell? What does it mean to be ready? What does it mean to stay ready? What does it mean to to get ready? So we're going to talk about that. The balance of our time, that's what we're going to deal with. We're going to deal with the substance of readiness. That's what it is. The stuff of readiness, that's what it does. And the significance of readiness, what makes it so important. So we're going to start with the substance of readiness. What is it? What is readiness? Readiness. Before we get to the what it is, let me deal with the what it isn't to help you see the contrast. We've already been kind of seeing the contrast laid out. Already been seeing it kind of, kind of established in the teaching of Christ. First, it's, it's, it's not hypocrisy. That's where Jesus started. If you go back to Hebrew, or no, I'm sorry, not Hebrews, Luke chapter 12, at the beginning of his teaching, as he's beginning to teach this, this block of teaching to his disciples, he starts with hypocrisy. Readiness is, is, is not hypocrisy motivated by too great a fear of man and, and too small a fear of God. If you are living not to offend people without considering what might be offensive to God, or if you are living to seek man's approval and yet not being concerned with what pleases God, I would humbly suggest That is not living with an eternal perspective. That's not living ready. That is not readiness. Readiness is not greed motivated by a greater desire for possession than God's glory. If you remember, when I I taught on greed, I gave you the definition in a quote from this guy. I can't remember his name. should have looked it up, but I I can't remember. It it must be my quote now. I, I own it. Uh, greed is a fat monster with a little mouth that will never be satisfied. You've got to eat a lot, but you can't eat it as fast as you'd like. You just can't ever get enough. If your life is in the pursuit of possessions, and when you get one thing, it's just not enough, and you need more, and you need more, and you need more, and you need more, and when this thing doesn't satisfy you, you think this thing will. and No, that didn't satisfy I need more of this, but I can't let go of these things because they... They make me believe if I get enough of these things, I'll be satisfied. If your life is in the pursuit of possessions rather than the glory of God, I would humbly suggest you are not living with an eternal perspective. You are not living ready. Readiness is not worry. Worry that God is unable or unwilling to give you what you need. If every day you go out into the world concerned that you're going to have enough. Concerned that God is actually able or actually willing. Motivated more by your fear than your faith. Doing things because you're scared you just won't have enough. Rather than doing things because you believe God has said I'll give you everything. then I would suggest that you are not living with an eternal perspective. That is not living ready. Well, what is it then? If it's not these things, I mean, I don't think this is an exhaustive list. I think it's just in the context of what he's teaching and giving us. He's giving us these perspectives of what we shouldn't be. And then he calls us to this eternal perspective and to be ready at all times for eternity to actually come into our existence, so that we would actually take hold of this inheritance. He tells us to be ready for it. What is it that we're to be ready for? What is readiness? Readiness is remaining expectant of Jesus' return and faithful to him until he comes. It is being the servant's who long to see his master, to long to see their master, who watch their lights and watch their, their, their lamps and ensure that they continue to burn and ensure that the wicks are, are, are kept up with ensure that the oil is replenished. And they're the, they're, the, the, they're the servants who are standing at the windows watching out for their master to come. They're looking forward to his return. They're the ones who are there when he goes to knock and as his hand falls, they open the door and they don't make him wait faithfully and expectantly looking for him to come back. They're the ones who own the house. And the ones who own the house that place more importance on what is in the house than they do on what is outside of it. And they stay there to make sure a thief can't take it away from them. See, they're the ones committed, expectantly waiting. They are the ones that are looking forward to it. They are the ones that are staying and staying. They they expectantly look forward to the time when the master comes and they're prepared for the moment when the thief arrives. That's what he's calling us to expectantly and 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 faithfully waiting for him i just imagine the difference the contrast in his first advent in his first coming he's born from a virgin a poor little girl from a little town called nazareth and he's laid in a manger A world that seemingly had no room for their Messiah. But this time when he comes, his servants are waiting. The lights are on. They're waiting at the door. They're looking out and watching for him to come. It's a drastically different arrival, a drastically different return. See, he doesn't want us to miss anything. You don't don't, don't hear these Parables, don't hear these teachings, don't hear these commands as if they're a reason to just beat you down. Rather, these commands are to lift you up, to give you a perspective that there's something more, something greater, something better to look forward to. He's not just giving commands just simply because He can. He wants us ready because it's in the midst of readiness that we find the greatest sense of His blessing as we wait. Readiness is the posture which Jesus commands Christians to persevere and expects to find us when he comes. And it's the place we enjoy the greatest of all his blessings. What does that look like day in and day out? What is what is that how how, how does that play out in in our daily life? Like tomorrow morning, you gotta get up, you gotta go to work, you gotta, you gotta take care of kids, you gotta think about things around the house. How does this work? What is the stuff of readiness? What does it look like in practice? Jesus doesn't give us specifics here. There's certainly some things within the parables that we can draw out, but the breadth of the New Testament gives us this perspective. Jesus was not the only one teaching about his return. The, all the apostles, all the letters to the to the church lived they, they they were written with this perspective of a time where the Savior will return. But directly from this parable, I would suggest just a few. Believing. Implied in this text is a believing group of servants. Servants who believed that when their master said he would return, they were expecting it. They were trusting it. Faith is clearly implied here. The servants were doing what they were doing because they believed. There would come a point, whether it's the second or third watch, which means in the middle of the night, when everybody else is asleep, when everyone else has grown weary and quit watching, these servants continued waiting and being ready. This is the place where this begins. Readiness begins here to get ready for Jesus' coming. We must begin believing Jesus. To stay ready, we must continue believing Jesus. In fact, there's this beautiful passage of Scripture. I don't have it on the screen. I'll just tell you about it. It's this moment where the the masses had come to Jesus, and he feeds them with five loaves and two fish. And he leaves in the night and goes to the other side of the lake. And they come seeking after him. And when they find him, he's like, "You didn't come seeking. You came seeking the food that that dies, that perishes. You came seeking, doing the works that that perish, that don't last." And they're like, "Well, what do we do? What are we supposed to do to do the works of God?" This is John six. I think it's around verse thirteen. I'm terrible with numbers, so it's, I'm pretty sure it's John six, verse. You can find it. He says, the work of God is to believe in him whom he has sent. Every day, this is where it starts. Believing. Living as a servant who believes that what his master has said is true. Believing. It's not about the doing first. It's not about all the things that come. It's about doing these things because we believe he's going to return. Doing these things because we believe he rose from the dead. Doing these things because we believe that he died on the cross. Died on the cross in our place for our sins. He sacrificed himself so that we could be counted righteous. Believing that he rose again. Putting death to death and defeating it for us. Giving us the the, the reality of eternal life. And that he didn't just die and rise so that we could enjoy blessing here believing that he's coming again to make all things new, to bring us to, to a place where we will be with him forever, believing that our master is coming again. Do you believe these things? Are you believing them not just for some moment where you walk the an aisle and said a prayer, but are you every day, every moment of every day, Believing. It starts with believing. If you are not believing, you are not ready. Obey. These servants, they they had been given instruction. They were under the authority of their master as they wait for their master to return. It's not simply their idea to do these things. He had given them these things. I'll be back. These servants had committed themselves to the way of their master. He, they committed themselves to, to a life in service to him. And Peter picks up on this idea of readiness as part of service in his first letter to the church. He says, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13 through 15, he says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action. Note the, the preparedness language. It's the same phrase. In the original language, it's the same phrase gird up your loins. Peter just happens to say, therefore, gird up the loins of your mind for action. Being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Do not live for the things of this time and place. Do not live for these things that fade away and that rot underneath our hands. Do not live for these temporary treasures. Put your hope fully completely in the revelation or in the grace that's going to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Gird up your loins for action. The perspective is this, they wore robes in that day. So so as Jesus is saying that, as Peter's saying that to these people, he's talking about their robes. And what they would do is they'd take their robes and they would pull them up between their legs and around their legs and they bunch them up so nothing's hanging out and being being immodest. They're pulling them all up and tucking them around and they're putting them into their belt so that they could work. Imagine walking around in a long robe all day long that keeps that, that, that's around your feet and you're trying to work out in the field. It's not extremely convenient. So they would gird up their loins, they would wrap their robes up around themselves. We do it all the time. Some people get dressed for work and they put on a suit. I got dressed for action this morning. I put on my button-up shirt. I put on my nice blue jeans. I didn't wear my ratty old sweatpants. It came. And I left my shirt untucked because I'm going to flail my arms around. I'm going to move around. I want to be free to move. This is what he's saying: be ready for action. Get yourself dressed and ready to be able to act. To be able to do something. To be able to obey. And that's what Peter goes on to say. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Do you hear what Jesus has been teaching us? Don't give yourself to the approval of men. Don't give yourself to the pursuit of possession. Don't give yourself to the worry of the things that fade. Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. The reality is we are called not simply to believe. Belief will always be evidence. Faith will always be evident in our obedience. We believe and we obey. That is what readiness is, or that's how readiness acts. But it also acts in serving. Serving, no matter how late it seems. It doesn't matter how long the hours go. It doesn't matter how much it feels like it might never end. If he doesn't come to the second or third watch, I will be found serving him. By serving his people. Peter again picks up on this picture, this perspective in his first letter to the church. First Peter chapter 4 verses 7 through 11. The end of all things is at hand. You get the, you get the sense of urgency, right? The thief could come at any moment. The, the master could come at any moment. The end of all things is at hand. There's a sense of urgency here. Therefore, be self-controlled, sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly. Since love covers a multitude of sins, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. In this perspective, you see Jesus giving uh, uh, managers in his house opportunity to use his good for the good of the others of the house. That's exactly what he's pointing out, that, that this master sets one up as a manager. And he expects us to use those things that he's given us for the good of others. That's what Peter's pointing out. There's a reality. Each of us have been managed, made managers of the grace of God. You have been given grace and you have been called to manage grace. But not for your own benefit. Not for your own good. Good. Everybody else in the room has been given grace to be good to you. You've been made a manager of God's grace for the good of the other people sitting in this room. To the glory of God. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified. Whatever you do, whenever you do it, God has called us to be ready. And readiness is serving at every moment, at whatever hour, whenever the need arises that we would be a people who live according to his strength and speak with his wisdom, and that we manage his grace well so that his church is built up so that there is hospitality to the stranger without grumbling. That's a tough one. You mean I'm supposed to welcome somebody without saying something negative about that behind their backs? I'm supposed to make sure that everybody feels welcome and not be complaining about it because it's uncomfortable for me? Loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. You mean to tell me that, that by, by using God's grace, I'm supposed to make sure that these, these sinners around me are loved? Yeah, every day, all day long, yes, you are believing, obeying, serving, telling. And not quite as clear in this text, but there's a reality that that this passage gives way to. Before he left, Jesus gave clear instruction for his people to follow, to make disciples, teaching them to obey all that he had taught them, all that he had commanded them. And Luke picks this up in Acts chapter 1, verses 6 through 11, that we are to be a people who tell others. It says, so when they had come together, they asked the Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? See, this is what Jesus is teaching about right now. He's teaching about a time when the master comes back and establishes an eternal kingdom. And they're like, oh, Jesus has died. Jesus has risen. It must be time. Is this now the time? We've seen all of these these things happen and now you've come back. Is now the time? He gently rebukes them. Is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. You don't need to make charts and graphs. You don't need to be calling out dates. You don't need to be making sure that you know exactly whether you're pre-meal, post-meal, all-meal. You don't need to know whether or not for certain that there's a rapture there's not a rapture. You don't need to concern yourself with these things. Please understand, I am not saying don't study these things. But how many of us make our whole life about trying to determine what's going to happen in the end and miss the very next thing that he says. But it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. So rather than, rather than building your charts and graphs and rather than building a bunker and prepping for the apocalypse, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up in the cloud, took him out of their sight. And in 10 days, all that he had said would happen began to happen. And the Holy Spirit was poured out. And they began to proclaim the glories of God. And in that day, 3,000 people came to believe. But while they were standing there, looking up into the sky. Behold, two men stood by them in white robes, this is verse 10 and 11, and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from heaven, uh, taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. The thing is that God doesn't want us. Jesus isn't commanding us to stand looking into the sky, waiting for his return. Man, I is a speck is, is that him is that that is that him coming on oh over on the horizon oh, that's just a bird every day all day telling people telling people what Jesus has come and done witnessing to the work that he has done and witnessing to the promises that he has made telling them that he is coming if we aren't a part of this mission to make sure that the word continues to go forward, I'm afraid, brothers and sisters, that we are not living ready. Finally, enduring. This is what... what 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 readiness acts like, this is the stuff of readiness. It's every day, day in, day out, every second, whether it's the second or third watch, that simply means in the middle of the night when everybody else would have gone to sleep, when everybody else has grown weary and tired, we continue. We don't stop. We are expectant and faithful to him until he comes. Spurgeon, as he spoke on this passage, says this, always... Always act just as you would be wish as you would wish to be acting if he were to re, were to come. Always act just as you would wish to be acting if he were to come. That he is Jesus. Always acting. What, what do you want to find? What do you want him to find you doing? Fulfilling your bucket list, or fulfilling his, and building your own kingdom or building his? What do you want him to find you doing when you're all alone at night? Everybody else has gone to bed and you can't sleep. What would you want him to find you doing? What do you want him to find you doing? When it's not Sunday morning and it's expected that you're here. What do you want him to find you doing when your community group is not meeting together during the week? What do you want him to find you doing when you're at work being paid to be there? What would you want him to find you doing? Every day, day in, day out, we wait on him expectantly and faithfully until he comes and we don't quit waiting and we don't quit expecting and we don't stop being faithful until he comes. Well does this really matter? Does it really matter? I mean come on. He loves me. He'll take me in like he 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 gets it. His grace is sufficient. Like I can I can put it off for a while. I can live and sow my wild oats. I can not gird up my loins for action. I can tuck my shirt in and not be ready to, to preach the message. I can, I can just come up in here and, and not care, not be prepared. Is it really that important? Like, e- come on, I don't need to tell anybody about Jesus. Like, you've got other people to do that, right? Is it really important that I live ready, that you live ready? Now, who's this important for? I mean, I said a prayer. I got baptized. I walked an aisle. He can't be talking to me, right? That's essentially the question that Peter asked. Who are you talking to? Are you talking to us, your disciples, your, your people? Or are you talking to everybody else? What's the significance of readiness. Well, Jesus in natural Jesus form doesn't actually answer his question but asks another question in return to, to broadly more deal with the, the, the question that he's asked, to, to deal more broadly to deal with a bigger idea. And in essence, what I think you'll see in his answer is it's important to everyone. Radically important to everyone when he comes, Jesus will bless faith-filled readiness and condemn all who squander their opportunity. He's going to bless those who are expecting, who are living faithfully, who are living ready. He's going to bless them. And you see this blessing across this, this whole passage. The, the first place you see it is when the servants are, are there waiting and the master returns. They, he, the master comes in the, and the knock on the door, they open immediately. Their lights are lit. The, he's welcomed into the warmth of their presence. He comes in and he is pleased with them and he loves them and he changes the role. And he says, no, 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 no. You don't serve me. I serve you. And he puts on, he girds up his own loins for action. He puts on the dress of a servant and he begins to to make a meal for them and he sits them at the table and he says, no, 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 you're not making this one. I'm making this one. I'm taking care of this meal. I'm going to feed you. You lay down. You recline at the table. You rest. Let me serve you. See, our master in Jesus Christ, our master has become our servant. The very blessings of God and everything we want. We don't have to work for them anymore. He just simply says, Seek them because it's the good pleasure of the Father to give them to you. Yeah, we got to live ready. We got to live expectantly. We got to be, 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 be faithful. But that's nothing in comparison to the work we'd have to do to make our own way to blessing. Isn't that really what we want? The very thing that we all desire for this God who is holy and righteous to give us all we long for in our hearts. He says, when I come home, when I return from the wedding feast and I walk up to the door, you will no longer have to serve me because I serve you. He blesses us Next, you see it in the, in the second parable, or in the third parable. He says, blessed is the servant whom his master will find so doing, being faithful, being ready. Blessed is the servant who his master finds ready when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. He won't hold anything back. The whole abundance of his creation, the whole abundance of his presence and his provision, the whole abundance of knowing him fully and being known fully by him will be ours. So, is it important to be ready? Absolutely. I wish. I wish. That's where that parable ended. There's another contrast he brings us to. Because his blessing is for those who are waiting expectantly and faithfully, those who are ready. But if that servant says to himself, I've got all this stuff, I'm enjoying these good things, they must be for me. Must all be for me. Eat, drink, and be merry. Or he uses them to beat the other servants in the house. And he begins to lord it over people. He begins to condemn people with his words and his actions. Well, this one, this servant will be condemned. In fact, the terminology is frightening. He will be cut to pieces, he'll be thrown to be out with the unfaithful. He will be considered one who was never even faithful. I think primarily, uh, 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 primarily or at least in first order, this would apply to the Pharisees who are sitting there listening to him who's been the point of his conversation over and over and over. These were a people with all the, all the, all the advantage, the Pharisees, the scribes, the, the, the Sadducees, these religious leaders, these religious elites. They, were, they had all the advantage. They had the law. They had the prophets. They had the covenants. They had the lineage. And yet they were using it in selfish ways, and they were beating people with it. What concerns me is that today the church resides in a time where it has had more opportunity than it has ever had. We have his word readily available. We have the power of the Holy Spirit readily available. We have, not just do we have his word, but his word is available for any who want it. There's Bibles in the back of the chair. You know somebody that needs a Bible, bring them a Bible. It's, it's available. You want it? And get, Put it on your phone. You can listen to it, people reading it. We have thousands of years of, of, of good teaching. We have thousands of years of, of, of history on which we stand on the shoulders of, of giants of the faith. And yet, we're more enamored with entertainment, more given to reading a novel than reading a Bible. And then when we look at the world around us, rather than seek to meet them in compassion, we're more likely to call them to act like Christians, even when they aren't. That's not living ready. And in the day he returns, that will be shown. Because those people, those servants will be cut to pieces and they will be cast out. And then there's the second servant, the servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready. Or act according to his will. Like, yeah, I, knew, I knew I was supposed to do those things. I listened to Seth say them every Sunday. But, you know, we got better things to do. He'll, he, his grace will be good for me. Is this laziness, this desire for your own things that, that make our pleadings with you, your pastors pleading with you, your community group leaders, your deacons pleading with you, and your, your friends' needs all around you. They seem more like a, a, a burden to carry than an opportunity to serve God and glorify Him. Oh, you know, kids, they, somebody will take care of them over there. They don't need to know. the Well, at least I don't need to be a part of making sure they hear the gospel i got better things to do with my Sunday. Uh, you know, somebody else will stand at the door and greet people as they come in because, you know, that's not really for me. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't matter if I'm a Christian at work because, well, that's offensive, isn't it? I know, I know I'm supposed to be, but, but you know, I... The servant who knows his master's will but then does not do it receives a severe beating. He's punished. I still think it's a picture of condemnation. And then there's this servant who doesn't know what his master's will is but still does things. And he receives a light beating. There's a lot of talk about who these servants are. I think ultimately every one of them are demonstrated to be non-believers. And for what you know, that's what you'll be judged by. The light that you've been given, that's the light that you'll be judged by. And that there are, just as much as there are are, uh, degrees of reward, there are going to be degrees of punishment for those that do not know. For those that do know. And then for those that purposefully uh, abuse and misuse their opportunities. But as a people who sit in this church week after week after week, don't think that you sit in the place of the person, the servant that does not know his master's will and doesn't get ready. You see, we long for you to be a part of the work that God is doing, not because it makes us look good, but because we long for you to enjoy the fullness of his blessing. We are not, if, if you're resistant to that, yes, then it's going to sound like we're hounding you. If you're, if you're always looking for some other thing to fulfill you, yes, it's going to feel like we're, we're, we're beating you down. If it's going to sound like we're condemning you when we challenge you to do something different with your life. But the reality is we just want you to live ready. Every moment of every day, be Ready. So that when the master walks into the room, you are blessed, and he begins to serve you. My concern for our church, among all the other churches out there, is that even we, like them, have grown weary in our waiting. But he is coming. Are you Ready? Are you living ready? Let's pray. Father, we desperately need you. We recognize that every time we sit under your word, we hear it. We know it. Give us the strength and endurance to follow it. As, as our faith, uh, as, as you keep us in the faith, May, may that faith keep us. And as that faith keeps us, Father, would you help us keep the faith? Would you help us keep keeping on? Living every moment ready for you to return. Anticipating it with great expectation, looking forward to it, not being afraid. But ready to enjoy the blessing of all that eternity holds.